All too often, when we're faced with a studying team, we're reminded just how long ago our own school days were. Not only can the content be hazy at best, but the texts, technology, and even approaches have changed considerably. How many parents in our generation looked perplexed when we were told that there was a new way of doing subtraction? I mean, can we ever really be truly useful to our children without sitting the exams beforehand? Or do we need to take some sort of a crash course in teacher basics to help our children to get the most out of themselves? Hello and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, the founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this, our second season of the podcast, we're following six students as they head towards their GCSEs in 2021. Each week, I catch up with these very different teams to see how things are going in a one-to-one coaching session. Then, with a panel of experts in our weekly podcast, we discuss some of the issues that come up. These could be broad themes, such as motivation or managing mental health, or they could be quite focused, such as how best to revise for a specific subject. Now, these are normal teens, so you can be sure that we'll be covering topics that young people up and down the country will face. So, if you're a parent, a carer, or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, we're looking at teaching and teacher training, and whether there's something in that that we parents can learn. I'm delighted to be joined today by Professor Samantha Twizzleton, OBE. Sam is the Director of Sheffield Institute of Education at Sheffield Hallam University, which is a National Centre of Education Research and Practice, recognised for its excellence and innovation in teaching and learning. With experience in teacher education, curriculum development and language and literacy, Sam has been heavily involved in influencing government policy on teacher education and has been on numerous expert and advisory panels and committees. She received her OBE in 2018 in the Queen's Birthday Honours for service to higher education. Sam is also the Deputy Chair of the Doncaster Opportunity Area, a government initiative to address disadvantage and inequality. Sam, thank you so much for joining me. When catching up with our students over the last few months, it struck me that these teens see parental involvement as mostly encouraging them to do more. Although, to be honest, not many of them have actually used the word encouraging. Talking to Joe recently, I was reminded that his mum is a science teacher. And this came up because she's been helping him to get to grips with some of his biology topics, which he'd missed as part of lockdown and isolation. Now that's fantastic good fortune for Joe, but it occurred to me that while we can't all be experts in the exams our teens are taking, would it be beneficial to have learned more about the teaching process? Sam, presumably there's a lot more to teaching than simply remembering the facts and figures to prepare teens for their exams. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that makes teaching such a rewarding but also a challenging job is how tremendously complex the learning and the teaching process is. There are so many different variables. Ultimately, you are trying to help people to store things in their long-term memory in a way that they can retrieve that information and use it in, in multiple contexts, in multiple applications. So it isn't just about storing lots of facts, although facts are part of it. 
it's so much more to do with kind of conceptual understanding and really understanding the meaning and the application of something which is why when you're teaching in school there's quite a lot of kind of hands-on experience so there has to be obviously teachers imparting knowledge to pupils but what that means is different between say a five-year-old and a 16-year-old for a start but also different points in the learning process the pupils need to be working with that knowledge they need to be getting on the inside of it they need to be talking about it they need to be sort of trying it out often there's a practical application for it so many different complex variables also how you understand something depends very much on what you knew already and that might include some misconceptions as well as things that you knew that this knowledge will build on and so much of learning is also linked to language so your ability to link concepts to words and then to be able to use those words to talk about it and to make sense of it. So, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. And that's the teachers and the students you're talking about there, presumably. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, as you say, there's a real application of knowledge, isn't it? We don't just want to learn that Battle of Hastings was 1066. There's something deeper in that learning that the children are taking away from school that takes it beyond that, that subject knowledge. And really interesting to hear as well about how prior knowledge can have an impact on how children learn and, and the ways that they pick things up later which brings us really interestingly I think to the role of parents and something we've looked at before is whether or not parents are there to do parenting and teachers are there to do teaching and what I really want to look at is actually is there more of a role that parents can play in the education side of what's going on with their children? Absolutely it's right that we try not to completely merge the two roles and see them as completely identical the richest source of learning for any child, certainly in their early years, is their parent or carer. If you think about how a baby learns to talk, absolutely, from that kind of intense physical and verbal interaction that you get, you know, even if it starts with non-verbal sounds that are repeated <laughs> and over time become linked to meaning and become linked to words, which then become linked to sentences, which then become linked to kind of interactive communication. You know, that's the most intense learning. If you've had children and you've been through that process yourself, you will know how incredibly important the role of the parent is there and links to what I was saying previously about conceptual understanding. It's through those words and learning those words, which might initially just be pointing to something and saying that word again, again and again. And actually many babies will make up their own words for, you know, whatever it is, a banana or a tree or whatever. Over time, that turns to conceptual understanding so that we know that it's not just this banana. It's this banana today and it's a different banana tomorrow. And that banana is different from an apple, which I might be eating, you know, in the same kind of way. So there's quite a lot of conceptual understanding, really, really sophisticated, quite complex. Conceptual understanding happens in those early years, which, you know, I think for me illustrates profoundly the importance of parents and carers in that process. Now, obviously, as children get older and more people formally take over a role in their education, you know, that one-to-one -one correspondence between I'm the teacher and you're the learner gets more complicated and different and lots of other things get involved in that parenting process and you have the teachers in school who've got a kind of more formal role in a syllabus that they're working through and exams that they're working towards and things like that but for me the parent and carer is still very very central to that whole process and you know most important person probably apart from the learner themselves. It's so interesting having never really thought about that that you're right as a parent actually we're driven and certainly with the <laughs> if you have more than one child you tend to be more driven with the first one than the second one but to get them to speak and to get them to walk come to daddy do all of these kinds of things and actually it does take up so much of your free time but you don't see it well certainly I didn't see it as being a task or something that we had to do it was just 
I suppose, a, a natural encouragement to try to get them to move on. But then there is this point where, I guess as a parent, do we feel like we hand the baton on to the nursery staff or the teacher? Okay, now it's your job. I'll just do home stuff and you do the structured, formal teaching. And I think that's true. And I think to some extent it's probably right. The older they get and the more sophisticated the different kind of curricular areas they're covering you know there will be a point where I certainly found this with my own children you know the subject knowledge that they're learning is well beyond your personal knowledge so what you don't want to do is become a kind of amateur teacher without the full knowledge in terms of the content that's being covered but actually the processes that I just described that I think you know apply to a, a baby learning to talk or walk or whatever it is it comes naturally. You might read a book on it, but many people just naturally learn to mimic their children's sounds and help them to develop them into something that has meaning attached to them. And then over time, that turns into sentences. And over time, those sentences turn into, you know, much more sophisticated interactions. So much of that comes naturally. And I think a lot of that can be applied to other types of learning as well. What you don't do as a parent in those early years is kind of completely stop them every time they try and speak and, and tell them they got it wrong. <laughs> you know, you know that they need to try, they need to experiment. You reward them by repeating back to them. Quite often you repeat back in a in a slightly improved way what they've told you. But, you know, you're rewarding them and showing them that carried meaning and that it got a response. And then you're helping them to take it to the next level by, you know, turning it into a slightly more grammatical sentence or whatever it is or into the right pronunciation or or so on. And I think some of those principles probably apply to later stages of learning. So the opportunity to give children, you know, whether they're doing A-level biology or times tables, the opportunity to talk about their learning, that process of talking about and reflecting on is really helpful. So creating those conditions where those kind of conversations can happen in a sort of non-judgmental kind of way can be enormously helpful. It's really interesting that, as you say, there is no judgment in those early stages of developmental learning. If you're trying to get them to say orange and they go, oh, go, 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 you don't create them. You just repeat back exactly as you say, oh, go, go, go. that's right, clever boy, clever girl or whatever it is and, in, and encourage them to do more. And there is a turning point when, when you do start saying, no, not like that, a bit like this, or could you try it again? And it's interesting now that we learn so much more about growth mindset and trying to encourage much more that actually that growth mindset perspective of you can't do it yet and encouraging them to believe and try harder actually does seem to be entirely instinctive, doesn't it, that we do it when they're walking or when they're talking? One of the challenges with formal education is necessarily when you're in a situation where you've got, you know, hundreds of children in school divided up into the class sizes units of, you know, 30 plus, you end up having to almost not exactly take away some of the things that are instinctive in a kind of parent-child learning scenario have to necessarily when you've got one adult and all those learners and, and things have to be got through and assessments that have to be achieved at the end of it you necessarily have a much more structured more formalized way of learning so you're covering all the content and you're able to do it with the numbers that are involved but I think that can sometimes be a detraction of the more instinctive things and I think that's where you know parents and the more informal kind of support that can be given at home can really help to sort of make that good really and help these children who sometimes feel like they've been in a bit of a sausage factory scenario in terms of learning at school can be in a much less sort of high stakes assessment context when trying to make sense of it all at home. I think there's certainly something very encouraging in thinking that actually as parents as humans we are natural teachers and I mean natural at a sort of a very very innate level because we just get what it means to bring someone on and to coach them and help them to learn and to develop 
And I think that is encouraging because, as you say, even though I have no expertise, actually, I've got no knowledge really of the geography syllabus that my daughter's going through. Actually, I do know what well, I can certainly tap back into how I can encourage her to learn and, and sort of bring along some of these conceptual learning pieces, as you say. Absolutely. And you've probably got a kind of broad concept of geography and its place in the world and its place in your learning and your your living now. You can make some of that what can sometimes see slightly more dry forms of learning of geography, which necessarily sometimes has to feel like that when you're being taught it under the conditions we just described. And that's something we've heard before is that education isn't or rather maybe shouldn't be just about that moment in time qualification and coming out with the letters and the numbers and although you can't dismiss how important that is with going on to either higher and further levels of education in the world of work actually the school process is so much more important for um, developing the right approaches and the right toolkits and and all of those other kinds of things and and that to me sounds like the kind of thing you're suggesting actually parents can help to consolidate. Absolutely, yes. And, it, you know, it's it's kind of character formation, it's identity redevelopment, it's understanding your place in the world, in your community, and so on. Obviously, a parent is going to be a very central person. But I think being able to make the connection between that, that process, and what's been learned formally in the school context is enormously important. For many of us, with COVID and lockdowns, year group bubbles going into limited isolations and Unfortunately, no suggestion that that's likely to change anytime soon. Many parents have also found themselves in this sort of pseudo classroom assistant, I guess, role where they're trying to help their child to learn remotely. Now, that's a, a different skill set again, isn't it? That crowd control, <laughs> the element of teaching that's about actually helping the students to be disciplined or to knuckle down are there those kinds of skills that come as part of being a really good teacher too yeah although you don't have the worry that dirty children might suddenly run riot because it's been a wet playtime you do have the conflict in sort of identity and role and not necessarily wanting to be the person who's sort of formally keeping their nose to the grindstone and constantly having to take that role on at the same time as being their carer, their listening ear and so on. And also, as we said earlier, the challenges that may come with, you know, your lack of subject knowledge of the particular curricular areas that are being covered. There's a lot to take on as a parent there, I think. <laughs> One of the things that we found certainly in initial teacher training is that there's more applications for people wanting to be teachers this year and it's partly a recession and that's what happens when there's less other graduate jobs but I think that we're hearing from people who come to interview and admiration has grown in them if they've found themselves in that kind of adult slash teacher scenario realizing what a fascinating role it is trying to impart knowledge to people. I think it certainly restores my faith in humanity that parents are looking at that thinking they've got absolute admiration for teachers and so wanting to become a teacher. Absolutely. Personally yeah. I, I looked at it and I thought I've got absolutely no idea how anyone <laughs> would do that. How could they? It's struggling enough with with one or yeah, two. Absolutely. Like, no, I'm not sure I'm ready. <laughs> it doesn't make you realize how mad it is trying to do it with 30. <laughs> All of whom have you know a whole load of different things in their heads and lots of things, different things going on in their lives that will create a whole set of variables in terms of their ability to learn. Mm. You can actually, all joking aside, see how rewarding it can be as a teacher, as you say, when you get those children and you you can bring them on, you can see you ignited something in them, 
an awful lot of pressure and an awful lot of work, certainly at the moment with everything that you read in the news about what's being put on teachers to do, often at little to no notice as it's working its way down the line. Teachers and, and in particular school leaders, but all teachers, have had a turn from hell in many ways. Having said that, I know many of them have just loved being back with their pupils compared to having to teach them remotely previously. But for some, it's been the worst of both worlds because they've actually had some physically present pupils and some that they're having to teach remotely. And actually, it's a really full-time, full-on, complex role either. Having to do both together is particularly difficult. And those who are present, you've got added constraints about how near to them you can get and whether you're wearing masks or visors or, or whatever. Much less interaction with other members of staff because of the bubbles. And it can feel quite isolated anyway under normal conditions. I think that, you know, that's obviously added to that. And then, you know, as you say, things have just changed so much from one day to another. Who you thought you were teaching suddenly can change the minute you walk through the door. How you thought you were teaching can change as well. So, yeah, I think, you know, they must be on their knees at this point. I hope they're all getting a really well-earned rest. I think it becomes even more incumbent on everyone to pull together. And we've heard it in previous episodes, and we know it to be true, that we all want what's best for the child. Whether you're a teacher and you've got 30-odd in your class and you want the best for all of them, or a parent and you've got the one that you used to want the best for, ultimately that focus is helping your child, that child, to fulfil their potential. Absolutely. And I think in some ways COVID and lockdown has help to really focus us on that when you've had all these other things to worry about are there going to be exams aren't there going to be exams all of those things actually what you had to do strip it right back down to that core central moral purpose you know what I'm here for is to support children in their learning (laughs) and you know come what may that's what I'm going to do particularly in the light of worries that they've had these gaps which have you know obviously been for some children really quite profound gaps and also a gap in their own individual learning, but then also an ever-increasing gap between the advantage and the disadvantage. Because for some children, they've been able to continue learning and had quite a lot of support. And for others, it's just not been like that. And they were already starting from a sort of lower starting point in terms of not having the kind of resources pre-lockdown. I think that's why teachers have really stepped up and gone above and beyond this term under such difficult circumstances. Mm, Absolutely. And when you talk a moment ago about that attainment gap, and the impact the resources have. On one hand, I'm presuming that the resources are physical resources, it's internet connection and devices, but is it also resources in their broader definition of being support and sort of that home environment that's causing this difference in attainment? So NFER produced this report which absolutely mirrored what we'd seen in the Doncaster Opportunity Area, which I mentioned earlier. During lockdown, those children who had the physical resources, as in the access to the internet, the devices to work on, clearly had a natural advantage over those who didn't. And there were significant proportions of children who didn't. So in Doncaster, it's at least half children who didn't have access to their own device and might have one shared between a whole household. And then it might be on data as opposed to broadband, for example. That actually wasn't the most significant thing. The thing that made the biggest difference to whether children were able to continue to learn is the social and intellectual resources of support and help around them, whether it's parents or carers or other family members who were able to be there to help make sense of the learning, to do that support we were talking about earlier on. That is the thing that has made the biggest difference. And so actually some advantaged children who have all of the financial and intellectual resources available to them they may have actually benefited during this period because as we said it's more intense support potentially 
you know, it's more tailored. It's not one to 30, it's one to one or, or one to small numbers at the very least. So they may have actually accelerated their learning. Obviously, those who haven't, not only have they not had access to the normal teachers they would have in school, you know, they haven't had access to those resources at home either. So it's, yeah, it's been a really difficult time. I think, you know, we will reverberate down the generations for this particular generation of children in school during this period. It's really tough, isn't it? Because actually not being able to provide the kind of intellectual or social support that you mentioned isn't about not caring. It's actually that you might have parents who are trying to manage one or two jobs or who didn't have the advantages themselves and, and don't feel in a position now to do that. It's absolutely no reflection. You know, the parents of Doncaster care deeply about their children. As you say, often they're having to juggle the lack of sort of space as well. I know that can be a, a problem in many households. You might have, you know, multi-generational people sharing space and actually just having the space to be able to go and study quietly can be an issue yeah loads of different challenges so if we accept as i think we must that these kinds of situations are going on it's definitely not going to be impossible that a year group is going to go into isolation again or have their bubbles burst as we go into 2021 what are the kinds of things that parents should really be focusing on where they're able to to help support the learning and help their children stay on top of studying while they're going through that difficult time communication with the school and with the people who do have the formal responsibility conversations which i think have got much more systematic and one of the good things that have come out of this period is that schools have recognized that that ongoing systematic communication with parents is a really important part of how we get through this period but actually i'm hoping we'll continue afterwards as well different schools will have different approaches that they're taking to learning during lockdown some will be using zoom and and so on for sort of uh, live learning others will be sending work home others will be using a mix so there isn't advice that you and i can give parents other than to say talk to your school about the approach they're taking and get their advice about what would be most beneficial undoubtedly talking to the children about what they're learning and getting the children's kind of perspective on what, where support is needed is going to be probably common to all approaches but beyond that I do think that ongoing systematic communication with the school is probably the most important thing really now you can be a really vital part of the whole process as a parent and so presumably as we move through I mean parents are being seen I guess as a and quite rightly I think sort of an until now underused teaching or education school resource for their parents and absolutely part of that has got to be surely finding out what the teacher's expectations are for this piece of work or for the next 10 days or two weeks or, or however long those periods might last. Absolutely. Understanding their expectations, the further in that direction you can go, the better, I would say, in terms of those conversations. I think I can see that from having been in the world of work, that actually it moves you on from being task focused. This homework needs to be done and needs to be handed in by Wednesday morning to actually that parent being in a more supportive role and being able to help motivate the people if they're getting to that point where they think i just don't know why i just can't do it it's it's stupid there's no point that actually the parent can then say well look you need to because it fits into all of this exactly it's that sort of bigger picture and you know it's like when we talk about geography earlier you know if you can help to relate it to it might not be the specifics can be completely sort of applicable but it might be that the kind of conceptual understanding that the specific sits within you know, how important it is to you to be able to find your way from <laughs> your house to the shop or whatever it is. That kind of real life application and the fact that it has given you skills and it's given you an ability to thrive in the world. I'm not saying it's possible to do that with every piece of learning, but where it's possible, 
it can make an enormous difference. Yeah, definitely. And certainly we've heard before from previous guests about the importance of sharing your own experiences with your child, not just in, as you said there, in some cases, it might be that you can talk specifically about the application of a subject. The time I had to use algebra to work out how many planks of wood I needed for a fence panel or or those kinds of things, but also talking about the experiences that you as a parent have had with learning, where it's got you, when you needed to be able to call on your ability to think quickly, but also importantly, when things haven't gone well and those experiences that of, of sort of accepting and learning from failure. Absolutely. I think that's a really key thing. And actually, probably most of us can look back on times. I still remember being in tears the first time I failed my driving test <laughs> because it was the first test I'd ever failed. <laughs> and at the time, it was devastating. But actually, you know, I learned a lot from it. And I'm sure we can all bring to mind the examples of where you do learn from a failure, even though at the time it feels like the worst thing in the world looking back on it it's really helped you you know in your life experiences since and you know learning can be a struggle sometimes learning can be boring but sometimes the boring bit is then followed up by the light bulb moment when actually you realize that all those times tables that you sort of slogged your way through really help you like you say when you need to think quickly in a situation where it's suddenly really beneficial to be able to just bring that number to mind absolutely even if you can't talk about the specifics of this particular thing and why it matters you can certainly talk more broadly about the importance of learning many different dimensions of learning and, and you know the fact that we're all still learning as well I think it's probably another important thing as a parent you're still a learner <laughs> you're certainly learning how to be a parent <laughs> you never feel like that one's <laughs> completely sorted do you <laughs> absolutely not and certainly now that we're tagging on to this sort of learning how to be more active and so say I'm, I'm really conscious of not trying to sound like we're trying to get parents to be teachers and I think it was something you mentioned earlier about the dangers of actually looking at becoming amateur teachers but there is a role that we can play and I think actually for some people it can seem a bit daunting to think do I really need to do I need to do that as, as well I'm not sure I'm equipped to do it and how can I but what I think I've been encouraged by is actually so much of it does seem instinctive and it does seem actually with just a bit more forethought about how the conversation might play out. There's something about having some confidence in your own instincts like you did when you know that baby that you you know you may never have held a baby before until the first time you had your own and yet somehow you've managed to teach it to talk and to walk and to do all of those things mostly without having to read a manual although you sometimes you do that for backup you know mostly it does come instinctively to have confidence that your instinct is usually right you do know your own children a lot better than their teachers to. The teachers might know them in that formal learning context, but you know them in a much more rounded way. So, you know, see that there's benefit in that too. And certainly not as daunting as thinking you're taking on the mantle of teaching, which you say actually isn't necessary because teachers have been trained for many years. And I think what many of us lose sight of, or maybe even don't know, is that that continues through continual professional development. So teachers are constantly relearning and learning how to apply their craft absolutely you know every child is different every class is different every context is different you feel like you are constantly evolving your practice you get better at it over time but even the most experienced teacher in the world will learn with new classes new bits of the curriculum and so on I think it's true to say as well that you also get better and more practiced as a teacher in terms of knowing how to communicate with parents initial teacher training does include some of that ground and so quite likely as a new teacher to really need to develop skills quite quickly in those areas and the more experience you have used to really irritate me before I had my own children when people said this to me when I was a teacher it's irritating to be told that you can't understand until you've got your own children but you understand in a different way when you've got your own children but as I said I do think that during Covid 
schools have recognised that they need to communicate more systematically. They have been doing some benefits come from that that will hopefully continue. That hopefully will be one of the upsides that we'll see coming out of these dreadful times. We've heard that a lot, actually, that before now, parents thought that either they were a nuisance at best as something that teachers had to do as part of a parent's evening or they need to fill in the, their end of term reports or what have you, or actually worse situations that actually they actively felt that teachers didn't want the parents to be involved. I think they're isolated incidents, but but certainly this idea of I've talked to my the teachers of my children at parents' evenings, or by exception, if something's gone wrong, then we're all here, or maybe if something's gone really well. But it is encouraging to see that there is a more fluid communications that seem to be coming out and and keeping certainly I think teachers keeping parents and schools keeping parents more informed of, of what situations are absolutely I think a lot of that sort of naturally still happens in the early years you know so I can remember taking my children into a nursery in the reception year one year two you're naturally spending more time at the school gate you maybe even go into the classroom with the teacher have those informal conversations and it means you've got that connection and certainly once they get into secondary school our lives just aren't organized in that way anymore are they and so that natural kind of ongoing communication has to be worked at I think and because we've had to do that because of you know current circumstances hopefully we will maintain it and those phone calls home and so on that have been happening and have been so useful will continue because I think it's time well spent you know and you mentioned parents evening I've had so many teachers say parents evening done through zoom but you're not having all that awful dreadful waiting around if you're the teacher you're like on the conveyor belt you know you're the person receiving the conveyor belt as a parent it's really unsatisfactory because you're just sitting around all the time whereas you know you're making really good use of that time to do it remotely to have a proper conversation as opposed to that sort of whistle stop tour so hopefully that's something that maybe will continue in some form Mm. i think it'll be really interesting to see actually if the structure of a parent's evening were broken down even more so that actually you could have the conversations at points that suited more and I think that's the other thing to remember isn't it of course that teachers they may only have I say only 30 in a class but actually it's not that they've only got one class like did when we were parents of primary school teachers so we could go in and see the teacher and have a chat and they would know because they'd been with that class all day whereas now we're not at the school gates we don't talk to other parents in the same way certainly as you're getting mid-teens and to have the conversation about what's happening across the year group. And the teachers have now got hundreds of pupils that they're interacting with on a weekly basis uh, in most cases. And so actually it's unrealistic to think that teachers would just be able to pick up the phone every week to chat to every parent. But I do think that it would be good to see, or interesting to see the benefits, I should say, coming out of something that was more ad hoc. Or maybe just more more staggered over a longer period of time rather than trying to do it so intensely in that awful kind of you know one evening or sometimes for the teachers it's a it's a week full of evenings isn't it where inevitably you end up with sort of more automated conversations because you're bound to be kind of covering some of the same ground with many of the pupils whereas yeah if it's done over a longer period of time also not dismissing the importance of the less planned more ad hoc interactions as well you know for something significant happening in that person's life at that time or something that's significant happening in the curriculum you as a parent you know it's really helpful if you know that and I think hopefully teachers have seen the benefit of that you know having that communication and actually it helps it helps everybody you know it helps the pupil to learn more effectively as well so yeah let's hope we can hang on to some of that Sam thank you so much for taking the time to share your experiences and your thoughts today 
With only around 5% of students growing up in a family with a teacher, the overwhelming majority of us parents have to rely on our own experiences and knowledge to support our teens through their education. And that's not always easy. Time constraints more than anything else can hold us back. There's also the idea that we just don't know the subject matter, and so we're not going to be much use. But, as we've heard, subject knowledge is only one part of what our teachers provide, and lockdown has shown us that, if proof were needed. I thought it was really interesting to think back to those earliest learning experiences, walking and talking. At no point were we taken to one side and instructed how best to teach our babies to talk, for example. But that didn't mean that we sat idly by and sent them off to lessons for talking. We instinctively encouraged and supported our children. Now, I remember worrying about changing a nappy for the first time, but I don't remember any fear about how qualified I was to gurgle and make word sounds at my, at my newborn. And yet, that feeling of not being up to the job of coaxing and encouraging study seems to have crept in at some point. A feeling, I guess, that the baton was handed over to teachers at some point. But, as Sam explained, we still have a considerable, if not vital, role to play. And importantly, that role isn't as an amateur teacher. As we've heard many times before, as parents, we're expert in our children. And that role we can play in helping them find their own direction. And that's applying some of those early techniques that got them from crawling to their first tentative steps and then to running up and down the stairs. By paying a deep interest in what they're doing and supporting them, not by pointing out where something's gone wrong, but by encouraging them that they're always getting closer. They're making great progress. Sam talked about making their learning relatable too. And that can apply as much to the process as it can to the subject matter. This can make their experiences conversational rather than inquisitive. After all, very few teens respond fully to, so how was your day? But a chat that brings their often abstract lessons into the real world can really help them to open up. And that helps them to make sense of what they're learning. This also has the added benefit of being a, a bit of retrieval practice, which helps to strengthen their memory. So a real win-win. With the likelihood of further disruptions to learning and schooling over the coming months, it's perhaps more important than ever that we make the most of our support role. While teachers will be doing their level best to provide the content, Sam talked about how the biggest determining factor in success was the access to social and intellectual resources. In other words, us. Sam cautioned that we should be careful not to try to blur the teaching and parenting roles Instead, work with the teachers and schools to determine how best to support our young people. If we're clear about those expectations and how it all fits together, then we're going to be in a much better position to genuinely help. And with our help, our teens are much more likely to fulfil their potential than they are without it. Thank you for listening. I hope that you found this episode interesting and encouraging. If you did... Would you take a moment to leave a quick five-star rating and, and maybe a review? It really does help us to reach other parents and spread the word on how they can support their own young people. Of course, you sharing the link to this and other episodes with friends, email and social media is always very much appreciated. There'll be another episode next week, so please don't forget to subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast.